0: Trust you in your presence. Give him praise here this morning. Bless the Lord. Bless your name, Lord. Father, right now, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the message that you have laid on my heart for. Lord, each one of us is your children. I pray that the song that we just sang will not be just a song that is sung, but it truly would reflect the prayer of our heart. Because, Lord, being completely transparent with you, which you have always seen us as, Lord, we are not transparent with each other, but you always see our heart where it really is. Lord, it's very easy for us to say, I surrender all in here. (laughs) But can we say, I surrender all tomorrow? Can we say, I surrender all when life is difficult, when challenges come? Can we truly trust You and not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge You? Father, I know what You've laid on my heart. and, And Lord, I know that Lord, what we're going to be speaking about this morning is is not necessarily the things we want to hear, the things we need to hear. And Lord, even with that message, there still is going to be that tendency within us to really not trust you. But I pray that today we'd be challenged to humble ourselves under every circumstance we find ourselves in and be the men and the women that you have called us to be in Christ. Lord, we are in this for the long haul. And God, some of those days are going to be easy. Most of those days are going to be very challenging. Teach us, Lord, how to be faithful in the good times and in the bad times, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Yeah, give the Lord praise one more time in this house bless the Lord you're just such a wonderful sense of God's presence here this morning and just from the moment we began to worship you could just sense him here and and I pray that you would receive his presence today and that you would not resist anything that is said but that you would humble yourself under his word and that you would grow for his glory and for his honor in Jesus mighty name Amen and amen. Bless God. Hey, before you're seated today, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name. Well, last week we started a new series called The Grind. And throughout this series, we are going to be talking about remaining faithful to the Lord in the daily grind. In the uneventful day-to-day living that all of us have to deal with. And the reason that we're talking about these things is because we all tend to believe and to think that our walk with the Lord would be so much easier, would be so much more fulfilling if we saw more supernatural, miraculous events in our lives like those individuals of the Bible did. We look at men and women throughout the word of God and we think, wow, can you imagine living in their day and seeing the things that they saw? It must have been so much easier to serve the Lord. Look at Noah and look at Moses and look at David just to name a few, and if I had the kind of life that they had, if I saw the miracles that they did, if I were able to experience the kind of adventures that they saw on a regular basis, my life would be so much easier. It would be so much more simple to serve the Lord as opposed to the day-to-day stresses and responsibilities that we have to deal with and we have to grind away with in our day-to-day life. Yet as we talked about last week, we often forget that even in their lives, those supernatural and miraculous events were the exception, they were not the rule. That relatively speaking, when you consider their whole life, those were only just brief moments that were separated by years and in some cases decades of just daily grind of life. It's so easy to look at certain portions of Scripture and just think this happened on a regular basis. Like every day they woke up and they saw these miracles and these signs and these wonders and how great that life would have been. But you and I forget that they had a long life and much of their life was just the daily grind. We forget that they had marriages, we forget that they had children that they had to raise that they had jobs that they had to go to, that they had great responsibilities upon their life. And as we examine their life, we see them ultimately failing at times. And the reason that they failed was not because they didn't see enough miracles, was not because they didn't see enough supernatural events, it was because they didn't know how to take the lessons that they'd learned in those high moments with God and apply them to their daily grind. They didn't know how to live a faithful life in the day-to-day struggles of life that all of us have to deal with in in our time on this earth. And so we've really talked about how our walk with the Lord is not going to be defined by how many miracles and supernatural events we have seen, but rather it's going to be defined by our ability to remain faithful in the daily grind. To be faithful to God in the small things. To be faithful in the things that really don't seem to be that significant. Because we were put on this earth to glorify God in everything that we do. To glorify God in our marriage. To glorify God in how we raise our children. To glorify God in how we spend His money to glorify God in our relationships, to glorify God in what we think upon, to glorify God in our attitude, to glorify God in all that we say. As Christians, the Word of God makes it clear that whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of Almighty God. There is not one area of your life that God is not interested in. He's interested in everything, And He wants you and I to reflect His character and His nature in every area of our life, in Jesus' name. So we are defined by our faithfulness to God in the daily grind, in living daily here upon this earth. So in this series, we are looking at surviving the daily grind, and we are looking at it through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11. As I said to them in the first service, I say to you, we have been in the book of Hebrews for a while. And we're going to be in it at least two more weeks as we now explore Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason that we have taken this particular book and we have built our, our talks on here over the last couple of months is because of the context in which the book of Hebrews was written. Because it actually was written to men and women who were experiencing the daily grind, but on an entirely different and even more painful level. The book of Hebrews was written again to Hebrew Christians living in the first century. And as a direct result of having received Christ as their Messiah, these Christian Jews were being excommunicated from their families, excommunicated from their synagogue, which was similar to our church. They were being excommunicated from their friends and their families, so as far as they were concerned, they were dead to them, they would have no dealings with them. Their businesses were being confiscated. Their possessions were being seized. Their children were being taken from them. They were being taken from their children. On occasion, they were publicly humiliated, tormented, abused, and even tortured. And in extreme cases, though it is going to ramp up after the writing of this letter, they were even being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And you thought life was difficult for you. Can you imagine living every day like that, not knowing what the next day would bring? And they were under this incredible tension. They were under this incredible pressure. And as a direct result of that, many of these Hebrew Christians were growing weary and tired. Some of them were even considering abandoning their faith completely in Jesus Christ and returning to Judaism. And others had already done so. And so this was an incredibly difficult time that they were under. And so the Holy Spirit inspires the author of Hebrews to sit down and to write a letter of encouragement to these Hebrew Christians, encouraging them not to give up but to hold on to God because he who promised would also be faithful in bringing them through. He comes to Hebrews chapter 12, and as I said to you last week, what is really interesting about Hebrews chapter 12 is that it represents a shift in the letter, because now the author of Hebrews is going to take all of the doctrinal truths, if you will, that he's unpackaged over the last 11 chapters, and he's going to apply them to their day-to-day lives. You know, theology is great, but it's worthless if you do not know how to apply it to your daily grind. It really is useless if you don't know how to apply it to your marriage. If you don't know how to apply it to your finances. If you don't know how to apply it to your attitude. And the list goes on. And so what we have to do is apply the things that we've learned to every area of our life. That we may glorify Him. And that's what is happening in Hebrews chapter 12. He's taken all of this wealth of knowledge and he's saying this is what it looks like. When the rubber hits the road, this is what it looks like, boots to the ground. This is how you apply it to the daily grind of life. Now last week, if you were here, you remember that we talked about his admonition basically to travel light, that as Christians, we need to cast off as much as we possibly can and lighten the load because it is going to be a difficult journey. In fact, we talked about the fact that life is difficult enough, it's challenging enough on its own, let alone making it harder by adding to or putting more on ourselves. If we're going to make it over the long haul, and how many of you are in this faith for the long haul to make it in Jesus' name? Come on, four of you. How many of you are in it for the long haul? Like, you're not going to give up. Well, listen, if you're going to be that way, there's some things you just got to lay aside. You got to travel light. He talked about four things that we need to do. Number one, we need to lay aside every weight. And again, weight is not speaking of that which is sinful or that which is sacred. This isn't an issue of black and white, right or wrong. It's an issue of what is is actually a help to us and what is a hindrance to us. What is actually beneficial to us and what is not beneficial to us. And as Christians, we need to stop always thinking in terms of, is it right or wrong? But rather, is it helpful or is it hurtful? Is it beneficial or is it not beneficial? Because even Christians in that day were saying to Paul, all things are permissible to us. We can do anything we want And and Paul said that's true, but not all things are beneficial to you. Not everything is building you up. And there are some things in our lives that are not necessarily wrong, but they're not benefiting us. They're not helping us in our journey with the Lord. And some of us have got to lay aside some of those things so that we can travel a lot lighter because some of the things you're involved in are taxing you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and in some cases even physically. And they're keeping you from really running effectively. We talked about friends and we talked about entertainment. We talked about sometimes the way we were raised. We, we talked about a number of things that, again, they're not necessarily wrong. They're not necessarily sinful. But you know as well as I do that they're weighing you down and they're keeping you from really running the race effectively. we got to lay aside those things and travel lightly. Secondly, we need to lay aside the sin that clings so closely or easily besets us. And unlike the weights that just weigh us down, these are sins. These are rebellious acts that we know are wrong, that we know are destructive, but we like them. They're those pet sins in our lives. We we like the gossip, and we like to be argumentative, and we enjoy being critical, and enjoy being judgmental, and we enjoy looking at things on the internet that we shouldn't be looking at. And so every once in a while to appease God, To patronize God will say, Lord, forgive me, but we have no intention of stopping it because we enjoy it so much. The author of Hebrews says you need to lay aside those pet sins in your life because the more you entertain these pet sins, the further you're drifting away from the Lord and eventually the enemy who has come to seek and to destroy those that he can will devour you. It's not a matter of when, or it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. He is coming to destroy you. Lay it aside. We also talk thirdly about running with endurance. And that word endurance is better understood as patience. What he is saying is don't be impatient. Because we're in it for the long haul. There are going to be times when it's difficult and it's just strenuous. And we tend to become very impatient with God. And we try to outrun him getting ahead of him. And you'll burn out that way. Sometimes we get impatient and lose interest and we start walking away. Either way, we're going to end up destroying our lives. What we really need to do is just find a pace and then stay with it. Remain patient in every stage of your life. God is going to see you through. Don't try to outrun God. Don't lose interest and back away. Stand firm in your faith. In Jesus' name. And then finally he said, if you're going to travel light, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. He says, don't look at men. Don't look back. Don't look at those who are running right next to you because they're going to fail you. And if you always keep your eyes on men and women, your faith is going to be upended. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the author and he is the finisher of the faith. He started it. He finished it. He began it in you and he was faithful to complete it in you if you remain steadfast in Him, you know. Yesterday, as Pastor Joe said a moment ago, we had the um, the blessing of the bike, and I didn't wear it today. Someday I'm going to wear it. They actually bought me a black leather vest for this event. It was great. They got my tagline or tag name or whatever they call it. My call sign is Rev. And they 've got that on my vest on the back it 's got a big American eagle, and it says, "Led by the Holy Spirit, I love it it was It was great, you know so some sunday i 'm not going to tell you when, so you don 't want to miss a Sunday between now and forever i 'm going to wear it at some point, and i 'm going to just show you what it looked like. It was really cool, but I was talking with some of the bikers and one of the bikers said to me that his wife no longer drives. She got rid of her bike and now just rides with him. And the reason is she had a couple of spills. And he said the reason that she had these couple of wipeouts is because she could not wrap her mind around this concept. And I don't understand it myself because I'm not a rider. But he said if you're riding a bike, you never avoid calamity by looking at it. He said, you never avoid, you know, disaster or a spill by looking at what you're trying to avoid. You always keep your eye on where you're going or where you want to be. And I said, boy, that'll preach. That is a great story. Listen, you're never going to avoid sin by looking at it. You will avoid sin by keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. You'll never arrive in heaven by trying to avoid hell. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He will never fail you in Jesus' name. Well, today, we're going to move on. And as we move on, I'm just going to tell you something that you already know, and that is life can be very complicated, and life can be very stressful. That goes without saying. But I do believe that it's safe to say that it would be At least a little easier to deal with the difficulties of life if there appeared to be some method within the madness. If there were some plan, if there were some purpose, if we just knew why, then I believe life would be a lot easier to deal with. That a lot of times the reason we get so wore out in life is because it seems so meaningless. It seems so purposeless. As we go throughout this life, we experience these difficulties and we experience tests and trials. And they don't seem to have any purpose or any meaning behind it. And so it becomes even more overwhelming to each and every one of us. You see, the problem is that many times there seems to be no rhyme nor reason to what we are going through. It just appears that it's a series of random, disconnected, unrelated events that absolutely have nothing to do with one another. If there was some purpose, if there was some plan, if there was some work that at least connected them together, it would, at the very least, make it tolerable. It's that disjointedness, that disconnection of it all that is so maddening. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying... That as difficult as life can truly be, it would be much easier to handle the difficulties if I knew why I was going through it. If there was some purpose, if there was some plan that was being worked out through all of the madness that I'm experiencing in my life. You know, there's a couple of ways to illustrate this. You know, for instance, there may be some of you here today that you're not particularly fond of your job. And I'm not saying that you hate it, but it just wouldn't have been your first choice. But it's the job that you're in, and though you're not fond of it, it is a job. But the one thing that you love is the pay. And you love the benefits. And for whatever reason, your love for the pay and your love for the benefits at least alleviates some of that pressure that you experience in your job. And again, it wouldn't have been the first job you would have chosen, but it is at least tolerable because at the end of that pay period, you know you're going to get that paycheck and you know you're going to be the benefactor of the benefits that have been promised to you. And so at least it makes it tolerable as you go to work every day. Ladies, I got a great illustration for you. You know, when you started dating your husband, you thought you were dating your Romeo. You thought you were dating your knight in shining armor. Because as you were dating, he would go anywhere you wanted to go. No questions asked. He would do anything that you wanted to do. He would buy you anything that you wanted bought. And there were no questions asked. He would even go to a chick flick with you and even appear to be emotional while the movie was going on. And you would look at him and say, what a wonderful man. I must be the luckiest lady on the planet. He is such a wonderful man. He does whatever I want him to do. He goes wherever I want him to go. He buys me anything I want him to buy. He is such a great man. And then you got married. And before your very eyes, he changed into another man. And and you're thinking, where did he go? Now he fights me on everything. What, what, What happened? Well, listen, he didn't change as much as you think he changed. Because the reality is, even when you were dating, he didn't want to go where you were going. He didn't want to do those things that you were doing. He didn't want to buy all those things that he bought. He didn't want to go to those chick flicks. He wanted to see Rambo. Listen, we know. I'm just, I'm telling you what guys think. The difference is, he wanted to get married. And because he wanted to get married, it brought a little bit of sanity to things that seemed to him insane. He says, I'm going to tolerate this. I'm going to put up with it because I want to get married one day. All the guys are going to hate me after this message because I just gave away their secret. It brought a little bit of method to the madness to them. All that I'm saying is life is just a lot easier to deal with if there is some purpose behind it, if there's a plan that is being worked out in my life. The reason that we're saying this is because I believe that to one degree or another this is exactly what the Hebrew Christians were experiencing. Because they were going through this intense, horrific persecution and they could not make heads or tails of it. They were just like, we don't understand this. What does being excommunicated from my family and my friends have to do with my walk with God? What does having my possessions seized, my business confiscated, my children taken from me, being taken from my children? What does being publicly humiliated, abused, and tortured have to do with my walk with God? In fact, what does it have to do with anything in life? What purpose is there in it? To what end could this possibly be taking me? And then the coup de grace, why is this happening to me? Now your story might be a different script But it's the same story. Because all of you to one extent or another have had that same conversation with God. You've sat down and you've said, God, I don't understand this. What does losing my job, experiencing a health crisis, family issues and accusations and work, what does the loss of my marriage, the loss of my dear loved one have to do with anything? What does it have to do with my walk with you? Have you abandoned me completely and why should I stay faithful when it seems that there is nothing to have faith in? All of us have been at a place where we just could not make, again, heads or tails of what we're going through and just say, it all seems meaningless. It all seems empty. There's no purpose at all in the things that I am going through. And to the Hebrew Christians, but ultimately to all of us who would ever turn to the book of Hebrews, To find comfort in time of crisis, the author of Hebrews writes these compelling words. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse number 5, he says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And with those words, he says to the Hebrews, In the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your struggle... You have forgotten a word of encouragement that was written hundreds of years before this ever happened. He's actually going to quote in a moment Proverbs chapter 3 verses 11 and 12. And he said, if you had just remembered this word of encouragement that you know so well, it would have at least given you some insight into what was going on. It would have provided at least some answer as to why this was happening to you. But you have forgotten these things. You know as I thought about this this uh, this weekend the thought that occurred to me is isn't it amazing how quickly we as christians will forget great biblical truths when crisis strikes Isn't it amazing how we just conveniently forget the truths of the Word of God when we're in the time of crisis? Listen, it's amazing to me how we will come in here on a Sunday morning and we will shout the praises of God for His faithfulness in our lives, but Monday morning when crisis hits, we immediately say, God, you failed me again. Anybody can cry out and praise God for His faithfulness in here. I want to know, can you cry out his praises and his faithfulness when life is falling apart? It's amazing how quickly we forget the faithfulness of God when life becomes difficult. And what's interesting is that this was a little more sinister, too. This was not just a slip of the mind. The word forgotten there carries the idea that it was deliberate, that it was defiant, that it was intentional forgetting. These were not men and women who just let it slip their mind because the difficulties were so stressful. No, they defiantly dug in their heels and they forgot God's word of encouragement to them. Some of you say, well, I don't understand. How is that possible? Think of a son or a daughter that goes to their mom or their dad asking for permission to do something or to go somewhere and they don't receive the permission and then later they say forget mom forget dad forget what they say i'm gonna go anyway i'm gonna do it anyway that's exactly what the hebrew christians had done they become so angry with their circumstances so upset with what they were going through that they defiantly said forget god why is this going on in my life why is he letting this happen Before any of us cast any stones, let us all remember that there have been times when we have gotten angry about what we were going through and we have defiantly forgotten God and what He said about these times that we are going to pass through. Can I tell you, that's a very dangerous place to be. Don't ever defy God, even when you don't understand the things that are happening. You just humble yourself before Him and ask God to guide you through These times that you're in. But here's what I want you to listen to. Listen again to what he says there. He says, you have forgotten this word of encouragement. Here it is. That addresses you as a father addresses his sons. And that was a game changer for the Christians at that time. Because all of a sudden... God was no longer some impersonal cosmic energy that was completely disconnected and disengaged from what they were going through. He was not cold and distant and indifferent to them. But instead he was a personal heavenly father who was addressing every one of them in their struggles as a father addresses his sons and his daughters. And all of a sudden they realized that God was there with them and that there was a purpose for which these things were being done. And folks, I'm going to tell you, that should be a game changer in every one of our lives. Especially when we're passing through these difficulties and we want to question God. Instead, it should change our mind and cause us to realize that God is not some impersonal energy that is disconnected and disengaged and cold, distant and indifferent to what we're going through. But rather, He is a Father who is walking with us through those trials. And if He is with us, then that means that. There must be a purpose for which we are going through these things. Some of us, we wrongly accuse God and we say, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? And we totally forget that Scripture makes it clear that He's our Father, He's with us, and that He is working all things together for good because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose in Jesus' name. So, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of tests? What are the, 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 the purposes of our trials that we go through? He answers that. Verse 5 again. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, this is a quote from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And with those words, the author of Hebrews now actually pulls back the curtain. And he reveals that all the suffering and all the pain and all of the hurt and all of the trials and all the tests that have taken center stage in their life actually have one thing in common. They are all being used by God to discipline his sons and his daughters. The author of Hebrews says, I want you to be encouraged that God is monitoring everything that is happening to you. And it's all being used to discipline you as his sons and as his daughters. That God was using their persecution to discipline their lives and in times of heartache and in sorrow that all of us experience during the difficult times of life we might find encouragement in the same words. Now I know upon first consideration of these verses it doesn't seem to have any kind of encouragement at all. In fact some of you are saying great Pastor Kurt now not only do we know that we're going through difficult times but now we know that God is disciplining us. So now not only do we have to carry the burden of these difficulties that we're going through, but now we know that he is disciplining us. So talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. I mean, how bad is it going to get before it starts getting better in our life? Well, listen, before you totally lose heart, remember one thing, and this is key. That when it comes to discipline, there are always two disciplines in the mind of God. There is a discipline for correction, and there is a discipline for conditioning. There's not just one form of, of, of discipline in the Lord. There is a discipline for correction, and there is a discipline for conditioning. And we need both of them in our lives. You see, sometimes we think when we're going through the difficult seasons of life that God is correcting us. And sometimes He is correcting us. But there are other times when He is actually conditioning us. God is our Father. Remember, He's addressing us as sons and daughters at this particular time. He has a responsibility to not only correct us, but also to condition us. And His, His children, we need to accept both within our lives and not resist him. This morning I want to talk about both of them because I believe that it will help bring some clarity to some of the things that you experience in your life and to understand that God hasn't abandoned you, that God is intimately aware of everything that is happening and he is watching it, he is monitoring over it and if you will submit to what he is doing in this, you will become a stronger and a better child of God when it's over in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? That's what I want you to leave with. So first of all, let's break these down. First of all, there is a discipline for correction. And we need correction when we're wrong. There is a discipline for correction. No one is denying that. And we need correction when we're wrong. And I don't know why we struggle with that concept. Especially if you are a mom or a dad here today, you should be able to understand that. Because as a parent, even though you don't want to correct your children, you know you have to if you love them. Because you see a behavior pattern developing within them that in long term will destroy them. So you realize as reluctant as you are, you've got to get busy at times because you've got to get that out of that child lest they destroy themselves in the future. You just understand that. Why do we struggle with the idea of God disciplining us to correct us? Why do we think that that is so mean-spirited? This is the one that we are the most familiar with. When we think of discipline, we immediately think of being corrected for doing wrong. And sometimes, along our journey with the Lord, we do have to be corrected because we have failed to obey the Lord. The question is, how does God actually discipline us to correct us? How does God actually discipline to correct our lives? There are a lot of theories that are offered. There are a lot of speculation But can I tell you, and and I'm going to just cut to to the easiest here, because I believe that this is the most prevalent. As I read the word of God, I believe that a strong case can be made for the fact that when God corrects his children, overwhelmingly the way that he does that is by stepping back and allowing us to feel the consequences of our own choices and our own decisions. The greatest way that God corrects his children is to actually pull back, to withdraw, and allow us to make our own choices and our own decisions and to feel the consequences of our rebellious choices and our rebellious decisions. Now, I know at first that that sounds harsh, but just bear with me. I can't be the only father in this house. I can't be the only parent that you have sat down with your children and you have warned them and you have taught them, but they did it anyway and when they did it, they are now living with the consequences of their choice and their decisions and you, though you had in your mind a punishment, you stepped back and said, you know what, I'm not going to do this because obviously the consequences that you're feeling in your heart are worse than whatever I could do to you and I'm not going to add to your burden, I'm going to let you be taught and corrected By your own consequences. That's the same thing that God does. God says, listen, I pleaded with you. I reached out to you. You refused. And so I just am going to step back. And I'm going to let you feel the consequences of your own decisions. Of your own choices. So that maybe you'll be corrected by them. Do you know that God can discipline you and I to correct us without even laying a hand on us? Because God is built right into his law that you cannot break his law without the law breaking you. God has put consequences right into his laws, so that when you break the laws of God, there are natural consequences that come with them, so that if you won't be corrected by the word of God, you may be corrected by the consequences of your rebellious choices and decisions. And again, I don't have time to go through the many scriptures that actually sh- share this, but let me at least give you two that I, make, I believe make it very clear. One of the most notable ones is in Proverbs chapter number one, Proverbs chapter number one, and it begins at verse number uh, 22. He says, repent at my rebuke. So here is the idea. God is actually standing at the intersection of your will and his will and he is pleading with men and women to turn because that's what repent means. Turn from your will and turn to my will. He says if you'll repent at my rebuke of the direction that you're going in then I will pour out my thoughts to you and I'll make known to you my teaching. But since you refuse to listen when I call And no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but I will not but they will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now listen, I know when we read through that, that those words can be very unsettling because it almost sounds like God sits in heaven and mocks us when we're going through calamity. And it really should not be understood that way. Understand the entire context. Here is God as a loving Father who stands before all men and women and completely reveals if you do it your way, these curses will come upon you. But if you obey my word, these blessings will overtake your life. If you'll follow me, I'll take care of you. If you do it your way, there's going to be nothing but heartache and pain and sorrow. And he says, but as I love them enough to tell them these things... They would not listen to me when I called. They didn't pay attention when I stretched out my hand to save them. They disregarded my advice. They would not accept my rebuke. And so I had to do what every parent has done at some point. When you watched your kids, just disregard everything you said. And then everything you told them would happen comes upon them. You just go, I told you. And that's where God is. He's saying, I told you. I told you if you did this, that this was the mess that you were going to inherit. And all I can do now is just watch that calamity overtake you. And in that day, you're going to call upon me then. But I'm not going to answer you. You're going to look for me, but you're not going to find me. And it's not because I hate you. It's because the only way you can be corrected at this point is if you are allowed to experience the consequences. If I just come in and deliver you from them, then you're just going to keep doing your own thing. So out of my love for you, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you inherit all the consequences of your choices and your decisions so that maybe then you'll be corrected and you'll listen to me in the future. I love the way you're saying amen today. Of course, you know what, I I had to just psych myself up before I came here, realizing this was not going to be a chandelier swinging message, that everybody was not going to be all excited on this. No one wants to talk about discipline, but we're the children of God. We must be disciplined to be corrected at times. This thought was picked up in Jeremiah chapter 2 in verse number 17 and verse 19 where God says, have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Your wickedness will punish you, your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Evidently, these individuals were saying, God, how could you allow these things to happen to us? And God says, have you not brought it on yourself? You forsook all of my counsel. You brought it all on yourself. And now your wickedness is punishing you. Your backsliding is rebuking you. So while you're going through these consequences, would you please consider and realize how evil and bitter it is for you whenever you forsake me and you choose not to fear my Boys, Folks, we need to remember that this is how God disciplines us. He gives us over to those consequences. And we don't like that because we want God to bail us out of everything. We want God to just come and bail us out. But God says, if I always do that, then you will never fear me. You'll never learn. You'll just keep doing it your way. Let's be honest, nobody likes going through the seasons of correction from the Lord. And that's when we start saying silly things. Silly things that Christians say when they're going through the correction of the Lord. One of them is, God, why did you allow me to do that in the first place? What? It is amazing the Christians that I have heard that will say, I don't know why God allowed me to do that anyway. I don't know why God allowed me to go there. I don't know why God allowed me to say that. I don't know why God allowed me to do that. Have you ever heard of this thing called free will? Evidently not. (laughs) You are a free moral being. God has no obligation to keep you from making a mess of your life. As a loving father, he has only a responsibility to stand before his children and say, listen to me. I've been around a lot longer than you have. How many of you know God's been around a lot longer than you have? And he says, I know exactly how this is going to play out. You're not going to be the exception. You're going to be the norm. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Don't do it. Follow me. But we have to make our own choices. We're the ones that have to make our own decisions. So God cannot be blamed for the decisions we made. We made those decisions ourselves. And another thing that we say is, God, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? God's saying, are you kidding me? You know as well as I do But these are the natural results of your actions. I built consequences right into your choices and your decisions that were there to correct you. Don't blame me. This is your doing. And again, that's hard for us. But understand this was not meant to destroy you. Giving you over to your consequences was never meant to keep you from coming to the Lord. It's not that at all. It's God saying if you will not be corrected by my words then I'll allow you to be corrected by your consequences so that you will not repeat this in the future but you would humble yourself and follow the Father who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Now, There is another discipline. And it's the one that we don't talk about that much. And it's the discipline for conditioning. And we need conditioning for when we are weak. Just as we need correction for when we're wrong, we need conditioning for when we are weak. And we all have experienced spiritual weakness at times. And the only way we can be built up is if God trains us and disciplines us. Think of this first in terms of an athlete. An athlete must condition their body for the sport that they are involved in. They have to endure all the requirements of that particular sport. And so they discipline their bodies to endure all of those requirements. They run, they lift, they eat, and they rest in a manner that conditions them physically, emotionally, mentally for the task that is at hand. That's why they rise up early in the morning and they train themselves and they make sure that they eat well and they make sure that they get enough rest because they know what the sport is going to require of them. And they say, I don't want to get into the sport and then actually find myself fainting. I've got to add the weight. I've got to discipline my body because I want to win. And in the same way, folks, our spirits need to be conditioned. Because we are in a race every day of our life. We are in a war every single day of our lives. Can you say amen to that? There is never taking a break in your walk with God. Every day we've got to run the race in a way that we win it. Every day we've got to fight the good fight of faith in such a way that we will win. And so our spirit needs to be conditioned. I need challenges in my life, even if I don't like them. I need them because they measure where I am and measure my need for growth. Let's be transparent. It's very easy to think that we're much further along in our faith than where we really are. It's very easy to come in here and flex our spiritual muscles and say, I'm a mighty man of God, but can you be a mighty man of God tomorrow morning? Can you be a mighty man of God when all hell is breaking loose? And I never will know that unless difficulties come. I can't measure where I am until I can be challenged, until I am tested. And I don't like it, but I have to endure it. Because that's the way I measure my endurance and my ability to trust in Almighty God. It's easy for me to trust the Lord standing in this pulpit today. But can I trust the Lord tomorrow? When someone tests me, a trial comes. But I also want you to think of this in terms of a father and his relationship to his children. It is a father's responsibility to watch his children when they are young. To train them. To speak into their lives. To prepare them for life long before he ever entrusts certain responsibilities to them. He might want to add responsibilities to them, but he needs to know that his children are mature enough to handle those responsibilities. Folks, it's the same way for you and I. The Lord has a responsibility to speak into our lives, to train us through the Word of God, to prepare us for the challenges that He has. And I never really thought about it until really the the first service. And I I said it and I wasn't even prepared. Uh, prepared to say it. It just, it came to my heart that God wants to promote each and every one of us. He wants to do great things, but he can't until he knows he can trust you with it. And that's why he tests you. Listen, be, you know, be excited when God is testing you because it means that he's ready to do something new in your life. But before he can do it, he's got to know, are you ready for it? Have you prepared yourself, are you mature enough to handle this which is coming into your heart and into your life? See, we all want God to bless us, but are we ready for the blessings? Can you handle what God wants to do in your life? I love what Paul said in this issue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he begins there at verse number 24 and he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now that's interesting because it almost sounds like we're competing against each other. We're not competing against each other. We have our own individual race to run. You're running against yourself, basically. You're running against yourself. We're not running against each other. But we are to run in such a way that we get the prize. And he says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air or shadow boxing. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. He says, God has put stuff on me that I can condition my body. He says, I bring my body into subjection. That's what he's talking about. He says, I am not going to act upon my instincts and my impulses. Instead, I'm going to take control of my life and say, No, I'm going to run in such a way that I can win the prize. Folks, we need to get serious about this walk with God and say, I'm going to run. I'm going to walk in a way that I win the prize one day. In Jesus' mighty name. It's conditioning. They train intensely for it. And if they can train intensely to get a temporal prize. How much more should we train diligently for a crown that never fades away? In Jesus' name. I like what else he said in Second Corinthians chapter 12. In verse number 7. Paul is talking about the surpassingly great revelations that he would received from the Lord. And he said, therefore, in light of these things, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he finally said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, God entrusted to me revelations that no one has ever seen. But he knew that in doing that, I could become easily conceited and arrogant and think I can do it on my own. And so God allowed this messenger from Satan, and we don't know what it is. But this thorn in the flesh that was sent to torment me evidently was something that he knew he could not defeat on his own, but he needed the Lord. It was there to keep him humble, to keep him going back to God and saying, Lord, I can't make it without you. He said I didn't understand that at first and so I prayed at least three times God take it away from me and finally God said I can't take it away from you because if I do you will not rely on me. I'm going to leave it there so that you know every day you cannot make it without my Holy Spirit and he says now I know that when I'm weak then I am strong in Christ so now I don't groan and complain when difficulties come I count it all joy because I know that when I am weak he He is strong in my life. And that's why I say embrace difficulties when they come. Because God is ready to promote you. He's ready to do something new in your life but he can't until he knows you can handle it through him. That you know how to rely on the Lord and not on your own strength. And so he comes to these Hebrews who have received Christ and are in this great persecution. He says to them, listen, I know you don't understand it, but you're being disciplined. And some of you are being corrected because he talked about besetting sin that was still in them. All of you are at least being conditioned for the long haul. And the Lord comes to us today and says, you know what? Some of you, the difficulties you're experiencing are the correction of the Lord because of sin that you've entertained. All of you are being conditioned so that you can stay the course and remain faithful no matter what life brings you in Jesus' name. Now, Some people at this point say, well, Pastor Kurt, why does he discipline us anyway? I mean, can't he just do away with that? Why is he disciplining us? He tells us because he loves us (laughs) and because he accepts us as sons and daughters. And that shouldn't, again, be a hard principle for us to understand. What loving father doesn't correct his children? What loving father does not prepare his children for life? I mean, I love my kids dearly. And it was hard at times to correct them. Because they didn't understand it. And I'm not the only parent that's had your son or your daughter look at you and say, I hate you. We've gone through that. Because they didn't understand these moments. But you did it because you love them. And you know what seems so small when they're little. is going to be a huge deal when they're older. And you want to correct their path now. So that when they get older, they don't have to live down all that pain but they can have peace that endures their lifetime. In Jesus' name. And it's not only that, it's sitting with my kids and it's and it's speaking life lessons to them, conditioning them. I was, I was telling everybody in the, the last service that uh, just the other day, it just happened a couple of days ago, we were all at the table and, and we're just laughing and having a good time and Josh and Amanda said... There's a reason that sometimes we go to dad, mom, or we go to mom, dad. There we go. There's a reason sometimes we go to mom, dad, and it's because when you talk to us, we get a whole sermon. Mom just gives us the cliff notes, you know. I'm like, that's my responsibility. I don't want to just give you the answer. I want you to figure it out. I want you to be ready because life is tough and people hurt you and they abuse you. But you got to be a man of God. you got to be a woman of God. I want you to be able to stand and be faithful. I want you to be able to turn the other cheek and not fight back. Life's rough, but God is good. And he'll bring you through it in Jesus' mighty name. We need that from God. He says in verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. God's discipline is actually the evidence that we've been adopted into his family. They're the evidence that we're his children. That is, if you submit to it. If you don't submit to his correction and do his conditioning, then you're illegitimate. You're not a child of God. That's what he said, not what I said. Listen to what he says, and we're going to get ready and wrap this up. Verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those, listen, who have been trained by it. Listen, I've I've told you this before. My dad was a great lover of his boy's. But he was a fierce disciplinarian as well. And it's not that he enjoyed it. It's just that he knew that was his responsibility and he didn't take it lightly. And I can never remember ever receiving a spanking from my father and coming out saying, Oh, that felt so good. I'd like another one, please, Dad. <laughs> could, could, could you do that again? I, I just... I just feel so much better now. No, no, I, I ran into my room and I, I called my dad just about everything you could call your dad. I didn't understand it. It hurt. But afterward, now at 48, because I respected my dad and I submitted myself to his punishment even when I didn't understand it, it has worked righteousness in my life and it has spared me years of grief and sorrow and pain because I learned the lesson and walked after his path. Amen. Now listen, it's the same with God. I don't believe God enjoys correcting his children and conditioning them. But when it comes, it's meant to instill within us a right path so that we might have peace with God and with this life in Jesus' name. And a lot of you, the reason you don't have peace is because you will not receive the correction of the Lord and you keep living the same way you've always lived and you keep getting the same results you've always had. God says, when will you finally be trained by my discipline? Humble yourself. And find a path that's righteous and peaceful. Jesus' name. Some of you are saying, well, how do I know which one I'm in? How do I know whether I'm being corrected or I'm being conditioned? And I could go on a long time here, but I'm just going to give you in general. And there might be exceptions to this, but I can tell you this. In general, if you can look at the circumstances that you're in right now, And you can trace them back to a decision you made, a choice you made, some rebellious action that you took. If you can trace them right back and say, you know what, I'm going through this because I said this a few months ago or I did this a few years ago. If you can trace it back to a time when you were rebellious, in general you are being corrected by God. And God is now stepping back and he's allowing you to feel the consequences so that you would be corrected and change your path and not repeat it again. You say, what do I do then? The first thing you need to do is repent. Ask the Father to forgive you and acknowledge what you have done. If you haven't already, just repent. Just go before the Lord and say, Father, I resign. From this point on, I'm going to follow you. I am not going to repeat this. I'm going to follow your path in every choice and every decision I make. And you know what? And I said this in the first service, and this is important for you to hear. Repentance is also not only accepting the responsibility for what you've done, but also accepting the responsibility of all of the fallout that came with it. Because a lot of times, because of what you're going through right now, people will say things and they'll do things that are not right, they're not godly, and you get angry and and you get upset with them. But a truly repentant man or woman says, wait a minute. At the end of the day, what they are doing is between them and God. I know this. If I had not done what I did, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. Some of you don't like that. Because you want God to hold them accountable for what they're doing. And he will. But God wants you to man up. And to say, you know what? They're doing this because I made my mistake. And so I'm, not, I'm going to leave them with the Lord. And I'm just going to humble myself under his mighty hand. I'm going to accept the consequences that come with my actions. And I'm going to be trained by this. And by the grace of God, I'm going to be a different man when this is over. A different woman. When it's done. Now what if your circumstances you're looking at cannot be traced back to anything you did or anything you said. Then in general you're just experiencing the conditioning of the Lord. And let me just say this. Because I want to make sure you understand it. God doesn't kill people. He doesn't put sicknesses on people to train and condition them. There are a lot of things that happen in your life that were not God's will. That God didn't want to happen to you. But God never wastes an opportunity. And what the enemy meant for destruction, God can use for good. And God can say, listen, I didn't want that to happen to you. I didn't want her to say that. I didn't want him to do that. I didn't want that thing to happen to you. But while it's here, I'm going to spot you. And I'm going to train you how to trust me and to know that even the recklessness of life, I'm still God, and I can bring you through it. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, folks. God is up to something in the midst of the storm. We don't always know what it is, but he is working it together. And that's why he started it out with these. He says, sons and daughters, do not take lightly the chasing of the Lord, Or do not handle it spitefully, is really what he was saying there. And do not get discouraged and lose heart. Because God knew that most of us, when we are in those difficult seasons of discipline, that one of two things usually happen. We either despise it and take it lightly and get angry with God and say, How could you do this? Why would you allow me? And just all these false accusations. Or we get discouraged and we give up. He says, don't give up. God is up to something great in your life. Jesus' name. Folks, life's a grind. It's difficult. But it's a little easier when you know what's going on. And what God is doing is He is disciplining you. Sometimes He's correcting you. Other times He's conditioning you. But either way, if you submit yourself to it, you show God respect, And you're trained by it. You're going to come out of this stronger than ever before. And you're going to be used by Him in a greater way than you ever thought possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord praise here in this house today. Bless God. Amen. Stand to your feet one last time. Would you stretch your hands out towards the Lord? And it sounds funny. But would you just take a moment and thank him for his discipline. Just thank him that he loves you enough to discipline you, to correct you, to condition you. Precious Lord. Father, I thank you for each one of these precious men and women that came to be with us today. So many other things they could be doing, but they took time to be here. I thank you for the word that they heard this morning.